0: fakes, social media, privacy, and what the National Archive has to say about the language in the U.S. Constitution. All that and more on today's Random Thoughts. And welcome to episode number 153 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That is R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. And on today's show, a few different stories that show you why the Internet is a complete and utter cesspool filled with all sorts of bad things, scams, lack of privacy, Things that can turn your life upside down in a heartbeat, especially if you are not careful, don't know what to look out for and how to avoid things like this scam, which is going on in India right now. But I'm assuming this is also going on in other places. This is from a Vice article with the headline of they follow you on Instagram. Then use your face to make deep fake porn in this sex extortion scam. It sounds pretty exciting, a sex extortion scam. But as I said, this is happening in India. This is the story that they are reporting on from the perspective of one guy that got caught in this web. It's interesting. I did not realize there is a spot in India that they call the trijunction area. Which is in the area, and I'm sure I'll butcher the names of Uttar Pradesh, Haryana, and Rajasthan, that they call a black spot for mobile networks. I guess there's enough overlap. I guess there's enough crazy stuff going on in this area with the cell towers and all of that, where it makes it very hard to track people based upon their mobile devices, which, if you're unaware, If you have a cell phone, you could be tracked in many, 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 many ways. If you actually have your GPS on on your phone, then quite often that is sending that information to Google, Apple, whoever software that you're using for your phone. And I think we covered a story about that with Apple. If not, there's a huge story a few years ago that people realized there was a database On their phones, the iPhones, that basically, if you took this data and entered it into a program, it showed you exactly where the phone was in every minute of every day that you own the telephone. And that's a bit of a privacy concern for people. Now, if you're committing crimes on your devices, you're probably using a burner phone, which means you go, you pick up a phone for cash, you don't register with anybody. And you hopefully cannot be tracked. And this is why a lot of people are doing scams in this area of India, because it is harder for those devices to be tracked. And even if you don't have your GPS on on a device, the way they would normally track you down is through what they call triangulation, which means when you're on your phone, when your phone's active, there's usually multiple cell towers that it is pinging looking for the best possible tower to give your call or data the best possible route, the best chance of success. And because multiple towers are getting a reading on your phone and they track all of this as far as how strong the signal is between the tower and your phone, even without the GPS being on because multiple towers are hitting your phone at the same time and they're all logging this information they can usually get a really good idea where that phone or device is located physically in the world. Now, in this area in India, obviously, that's much harder. So it's a great place for people trying to commit scams. Now, this scam, according to Vice, goes something like this. The person trying to scam you adds you on Instagram, and I don't know why it has to be Instagram. It could be any social media site. And then they make contact with you. In the case of the guy that they are reporting on here, the scammers asked him to provide a WhatsApp address because he added the person on Instagram. He's like, oh, they're already following a few of my friends. Or, and so it's all vetted, which is how a lot of people, I think, do the social media thing. If somebody follows you that you never heard of, don't know who they are, you don't want to be rude. Most of these social media sites will show you when they send you a follow request or a friend's request. Well, hey, they're following your buddies, Jimmy, Joe and Bob. So you're like, oh, well, then they must be okay. When the reality is there's a real good chance they're not okay, But they get you to add them they tried to get more information from him, in this case, a WhatsApp contact. He would not give the WhatsApp contact, but then he said they started trying to make a video connection, video call to him through Instagram. And I don't use Instagram enough to know anything about anything, but I was not aware that you could actually make a person-to-person video chat type call within the Instagram interface. Maybe that's something different with the Indian version of the app. I don't know. But either way, that's the concept here is they're trying to get you to connect to a video call. And then what they want to do is use the information they get, the video they get from you on that call to create a deep fake video. According to the guy in India that got scammed, And he is a 33-year-old marketing professional. Again, if you follow the No Agenda podcast, you know 33 is always the magic number. So the fact that the guy in this article is 33, I don't know. Maybe that should be a sign that something is wrong here because there's a lot wrong with the whole concept of this scam and how it's being covered. But the quote from him is, quote, the scamsters had taken a picture of my face from the video call that I had with them And superimposed it on someone else's body. In the video they shared, it appears as if I am having a sex chat. Now, Vice says this is a sophisticated cybercrime. It is not. I have no idea what Vice is talking about saying this is a sophisticated crime. They get somebody on a video chat, they take their face and they superimpose it on the face of somebody doing. Some sexual things, obviously by themselves. This is kind of a straight on why you'd never want to do any of this kind of stuff on a video chat because they can always be recorded. I don't care what service you think you're using, how safe you think you are. Anything you put out there in a photo or video format can and will be used against you in the world of deepfakes. I don't know why. They necessarily needed to get the guy on a video call. Maybe it was just to get a straight-on facial expression looking into the camera. Maybe that would just make it a little bit easier to get the deep fake that they wanted. The reality is any photo could have probably been done because you don't take a picture of your face from the video, as this guy said, but Vice doesn't have any clue what they're actually talking about when it comes to deepfakes. To have a fairly believable deep fake. And there's some out there, as we've talked about in our deep fake episodes and others, there are some deep fakes out there that are really, really good. There was one of Tom Cruise where he was allegedly golfing and then comes down and talks right into the camera. And if you didn't know what to look for, you would have completely believed that it was Tom Cruise. But in order to do a deep fake that can fool most people, you don't need a photo. You need Not even tens or twenties or hundreds of photos. You probably need thousands, or you need a bunch of video of that person talking, moving around, smiling, scowling, all of this. So the machine learning could make a viable replacement on the screen to make somebody think that it's the person that it's not. So I don't know what Vice is talking about, calling this a sophisticated crime the video call when they initiated it. And again, this seemed a little strange to me because it's like, well, they asked me for my WhatsApp and I didn't give it. But then they tried calling me over and over and over again on Instagram. And I, I didn't answer like the first eight times the guy says, but the ninth time I finally picked it up. And then there was a woman on the other side doing lewd sexual things. And it took me like 15 seconds to realize what was going on. And then I immediately hung up. Well, it took you one, it took you a little long to figure out what was going on, but two, they took his reaction, then that video and interspliced it with something. And when he didn't pay them off, they released the video to his family and friends that were also on Instagram. Cause everybody, there's a web of all the people that you follow and are following you and the people that are tagged in your photos. So it's not really hard to put together a quick and easy list of the people that you could send something to that would embarrass a particular person. But the important takeaway on this, I believe, is one, Vice has no idea what is a sophisticated cybercrime. I mean, come on, Vice. Two is be very careful who you allow to be your friend, who you allow to see your content of your social media accounts and all that. Because your photos and your video can be used against you. And if you're out there posting pictures and videos every day, it's already too late. You're probably going to get hit with this at some point in time. And the reality is there's going to be a time when people won't know whether this kind of stuff is real or not. And in the world of cancel culture, this is getting very, very, very dangerous. Because somebody can make a video that looks like you saying something bad, doing something bad, send it to your university, send it to your employer, send it to your husband or wife, and then your world comes crumbling down because people don't understand that all of this stuff can be faked. And then on the other side of that, it means all video evidence, more or less, is useless because it can all be manipulated. You cannot believe what you see. You cannot believe what you hear. And the takeaway has to, again, be don't post crap on social media. Post very little video. Post very little pictures of yourself because these things are just the puzzle pieces that bad people need in order to screw with your life. And people spend way too much time on social media. As it is, there was a BBC article that quoted some data from an app monitoring service called App Annie, which (laughs) I don't know why the BBC is going to App Annie. I don't know who App Annie is, but I found it interesting, at least, that according to App Annie, TikTok has now overtaken YouTube for the average watch time in the United States and in the UK. App Annie, I guess, is a monitoring service. They only monitor the Android space. So there's not a complete coverage here, but it's an interesting look at what people on Android at least are doing. I don't know if Apple's much different, but when it comes to TikTok, for those not familiar, these are little short form videos, which are usually just seconds long, where YouTube is a bit different. There's a lot of longer form content. There are a lot of shows that get released that are 10, 20, 30 minutes long with regularity. So the fact that you're saying people will sit down and watch little short second videos, videos that are only seconds long more than they will actually sit down and watch longer form content is a bad sign. For the attention span of the average person, it's also a bad sign that shows how much people just waste time staring at a screen to be entertained by garbage. YouTube, there's some really good stuff. There's some people that do great reviews like our buddy Bandrew Scott when it comes to audio gear. The Booth Junkie does some great stuff. There's some interesting tech programming, like the Daily Tech News show with Tom Merritt. There is a series that I think I've talked about here, The Professor of Rock, that talks about stories of all the old artists and all the old songs, and his episodes are usually about 20, 30 minutes in length as well. There's a big difference between watching something like that, which is really a television kind of replacement when it comes to the type of content that you can be watching and TikTok, which is usually, you know, some girl dancing in a room for 15 seconds or somebody just screaming into the air or something like that for just a matter of seconds. How people can even handle that, I don't know. But I think it's a very, very bad thing. But it'll be interesting to watch where this all goes with TikTok and YouTube and where people's attention goes, because this is all about keeping your attention. All the social media sites, that's all they want to do is keep you on their platform. They don't care if it's good for you. They don't care if it's bad for you. They want you on their platform because you are data and they can monetize you. Now, Facebook is under fire a little bit again when it comes to WhatsApp, which when WhatsApp came out, it was a platform that was very much against monetizing the user. It was all about safe messaging back and forth. It was about the user, which, you know, that's great until they want to make money. And obviously the guys that created WhatsApp wanted to make money. So they sold it off to Facebook. And now, according to a ProPublica article, Facebook is undermining the privacy protections for the two billion WhatsApp users in many, many, many ways. There was a story of how prosecutors have built a high profile case against a Treasury Department employee who leaked confidential documents to BuzzFeed through the WhatsApp app, and they were able to track using that. None of the stuff. None of the stuff online is 100% private none of it is 100% secure whatsapp sells people on the concept that their data cannot be seen they talk about end-to-end encryption which in a perfect world means that only the person sending and receiving the messages can see what that message says can see the content if there's any video audio attached to it and anybody in between it's all scrambled. They can't tell what it is. They cannot decipher it. They can only see that data went from one place to the other, and sometimes that's enough to be a damning bit of evidence. Which I believe is what happened with the Treasury Department official. They were attaching an IP address. This also recently happened with Proton Mail, which is an email service that claims 100% privacy, unless the Swiss legal system files a uh, legal brief with them, whatever they call it there. And then they maybe start tracking your IP address. And this happened to a guy that was involved in some activist stuff in China. So it comes down to, you really need multiple levels of protection. If you're going to be using something like WhatsApp, or if you're going to be using something like proton mail, You cannot believe you're ever 100% safe from prying eyes, even if you do multiple levels. In this case, when you're going to use something like WhatsApp, when you're going to use something like ProtonMail, I would highly recommend adding a VPN to that as well, which is a virtual private network, which would also help to hide your location, hide your IP address before you go to those sites. So even if they start tracking you, through those sites, they have to go through another level. And there are some VPNs that seem to still be doing the job. Which ones are real and which ones are honeypots for various nation states? You don't know. But there was just an article that Russia has started blocking VPNs, including NordVPN, I believe ExpressVPN and a few others, which leads you to believe those are the ones that aren't playing ball, at least with Russia, but then you don't know if they're playing ball with somebody else. But you have to do your homework, and it's not always easy to understand the landscape and which of the VPNs will actually protect your privacy. Or if you're going to believe 100% that something like ProtonMail will protect your privacy, it will not. Or something like WhatsApp, who claims That you have end to end encryption and nobody can see your data. That is also absolutely not true. Now, there are some caveats with that when it comes to WhatsApp. And the fact seems to be at this point, your content is pretty much safe unless the person that you're messaging decides to report that content. Because otherwise, it does seem that WhatsApp content is encrypted. Their AI systems can't scan the chats, can't scan the images, can't scan the videos as they would with things like Facebook and Instagram. But the minute somebody you send a message to, the minute that person decides to turn you in, the minute they decide to hit the little button that says, report this message, what that does if you send somebody a message and they report it, it goes to the WhatsApp content reviewers. And this forwards five different messages, according to this article on ProPublica. And those five messages include the allegedly offending message that you just sent them and the four previous messages in the exchange, including any images or video that were Included with those particular messages. They send all of those to the WhatsApp content reviewers in an unscrambled form, not encrypted, right out there so they can see what's going on, makes sense. And then these content reviewers have to decide what to do. They have three different choices they can do nothing, they can place the user on a watch list, which, hey, hey, I'm sure I'm on a few for uh, further scrutiny or they can outright ban the account of the person that sent the message so it's an interesting concept i guess so your messages are secure unless the person on the other side doesn't want them to be and the reality is then it's not really secure anyway if the person that you're sending your secret message to decides to turn you in then they can do whatever they want with that message so you really have to trust the person you're sending to i can see where this makes it a little bit harder to do scams and stuff like that over whatsapp but i think it's an important thing to point out just like apple with their recent now backtracking but they came out and were like hey we're gonna start scanning all devices no matter what for child porn and then people went nuts and like i mean you're going to scan for child porn, but that also means the ability is now there to scan for anything you want on people's devices. And that is a major privacy concern. Apple went, oh, wow, we didn't realize people were going to know that. And they backed off on that. But it's the same kind of thing here with the WhatsApp, which is the person on the other end that you're sending the message to. They've always been able to turn you in. They've always been able to make those messages public in one way, shape or form. Because even if you make it so it's impossible to take a screen capture, which it's usually nearly impossible to make it impossible to make a screen capture, you can still copy, take a picture of what's on the device with another device or whatever. But in late 2020, moderators for WhatsApp were informed of a new cue for their system for alleged sextortion. See, so we're going right back to the last article. This is happening a lot more than in India. And it was basically in the memo explained as, quote, a form of sexual exploitation where people are blackmailed with a nude image of themselves, which has been shared by them or someone else on the Internet. Of course, also could be a deep fake. Doesn't have to be real. That is the problem with this technology. Nothing has to be real anymore. And it's interesting to see how all of these Networks, all of these social media companies tried to deal with this, but it really is going to be a never ending battle because there's always going to be scams. There's always going to be revenge. You know, I hate to say it, girls. Uh, sometimes the guys you break up with are a little pissed off. You better hope you have never sent them any pictures that you wouldn't want sent back to all your friends. Guys, the same way. Don't do it, don't be stupid. That's the bottom line. If you're not stupid in the first place, they would have to deep fake it, which, at least, if they have to deep fake it, you could probably prove at one point that it's not you. It's still going to hassle you. But if you actually send the stuff in the first place, you just make it way, way, way easier for people to do bad things to you. And you would probably like to try to avoid that, if at all possible. Now, over in Australia, What seems to be a never ending battle between news media sites and the government and social media all seem to be continuing on. The top court in Australia has found that media companies are liable for other people's comments if they're on something like Facebook. So if a news media corporation, radio, television, newspaper, whatever, If they have a Facebook page where they're posting information, stories, whatever, the high court has stated that any comments added to those stories, the news organizations are liable for, which almost seems insane to me that people still can't get what comments are. And what this would do, I guess, is either force these media companies to not allow comments at all. And places like Facebook are allowing them to do this, to turn just all comments off. So if they post something, nobody can post a comment because if they can, then they could post things which could hurt the media companies because they're liable for whatever gets posted in the post that they posted. That seems kind of confusing. Or the other solution would have to be all the comments that are going to be added would have to be moderated viewed by a person before they were allowed to be seen by the public, which, again, is going to add a whole lot of hassle. It's amazing at this point in 2021 that we still can't get a handle on what is something published by a person or an organization, and then what is added just on the fringe in terms of a comment that is posted by somebody not affiliated with said organization but this is what happens i believe when you have courts that just don't understand or they really want to squash free speech and want somebody to sanitize look at moderate everything that goes on to the internet before the public can see it and either way it's not a good thing and it is bad for those who actually enjoy free speech and bad for those who believe in having a free and open discourse, even about things that some people may find to be uncomfortable topics, including when it comes to the U.S. National Archives that are online, that they host a lot of different documents so people can go there. A lot of documents that are very important for people to understand the history of the United States. In this case, the webpage for the U.S. National Archives that hosts the United States Constitution now has a warning, a warning that what you are about to read in the U.S. Constitution may contain, quote, harmful language. According to a story on nationalpulse.com, this is a warning that is now showing up on a bunch of different pages in the archive, and they send you to a page entitled the N-A-R-A Statement on Potentially Harmful Content, which they will define as reflect racist, sexist, ableist, misogynistic, misogynoir, and xenophobic opinions and attitudes. Be discriminatory towards or exclude diverse views on sexuality, gender, religion, and more. Include graphic content of historical events such as violent death, medical procedures, crime, war, terrorist acts, natural disasters, and more. Demonstrate bias and exclusion in institutional collecting and digitation policies. Bizarrely, the article says, the warning does not appear on a page about Jim Crow. Which has no fewer than six uses of the N word, nor does it appear on another page with another word that I'd rather not say on this particular podcast. But of course, it does appear on the US Constitution. So the people running the National Archive believe that the Constitution contains harmful language, but a page that talks about Jim Crow that uses the N word six times, well, that's okay. I mean, if you're going to have warnings about offensive language, I think maybe you would want it on that page. But no, the Constitution's way, way, way worse. But the reality is, how about no warnings at all? This is nothing more than a continuation of the nanny state. People can't realize what they're reading. They can't comprehend. They don't understand. If something was written 100, 200, 300, whatever years ago, maybe the language is a little different. Maybe views have changed a little bit. These warnings on things like Gone with the Wind that, oh, no, you might see a world that's a little different than it is today. Who cares? Things change for the better, for the worse. Shows like All in the Family could never be made today because Archie Bunker was a big racist jerk who, of course, what people are missing out on the fact that Call that show out and don't want it aired on television or wherever streaming today. That Archie Bunker was being made fun of. The character was being shown to be a buffoon. And it's interesting on these streaming services, there was an article I saw the other day that Seinfeld, the Puerto Rican Day Parade episode, had to be pulled because it was offensive. And the episode of The Office, where they did diversity training. Also, had to be pulled because it was offensive. This concept that you can't offend anybody is a farce because everything offends somebody, which means everything will have to be shut down, which means nothing will be allowed to stand. And until people start standing up, realizing this, and taking their voice back, protecting their right. The freedom of speech, standing up for that right, things are only going to get worse. The fact that they're putting warning labels on the U.S. Constitution at the National Archive level shows me that maybe we've already gone way, way too far. Something's got to be done. It starts with us. Be a champion of free speech, support people that are. Support free media, support the podcast of the people that you enjoyed listening to so that this media form can continue to grow. And maybe, maybe if we're lucky, start pushing back enough on this insanity. We don't need a world full of snowflakes. We talked about it on the last Random Thoughts. And if you didn't hear that episode, I highly recommend you do. China going after the sissy pants culture. Yeah, there's somebody over in China laughing at the National Archives saying that the U.S. Constitution contains harmful language. I will not guarantee that the Random Thoughts podcast doesn't contain harmful language at some point. And because of that, we truly appreciate everybody for listening, giving us your time. We truly appreciate everybody that has supported this show. We do work on the value for value model, which means we put the shows out there. There's no paywall. You get to decide if you've gotten some kind of value out of the show, what is it worth to you? A couple of dollars, five bucks, ten bucks, whatever it is, you can go over to Random Thoughts, thoughts.com slash donate. Click on that donate button to do a one-time or monthly donation through PayPal. You can use the QR codes and wallet addresses to use the crypto thing. And if you do, Do me a favor and send me an email and let me know how that needs to be attributed. And you can use the P.O. box address to go the snail mail route. And with that as well, please put random thoughts on there to let me know how to attribute the donation. But they are all very much appreciated. I do have two people to thank for today. First is Stu Coates with his monthly 666 donation, which means this is a satanic cult or something like that. I don't know. Whatever it is, I appreciate it. And our buddy Stanto, Graham Stanton, coming in with five bucks, also on a monthly thing now. I believe it is very much appreciated. Thank you for supporting the Random Thoughts podcast. And if you're listening on a podcasting 2.0 app, and if you're not, you should be. Go check the list out at newpodcastapps.com. But if you're listening on a podcasting 2.0 app, you can hit that little boost button right now, and Satoshi's magical little bits of money travel across the interwebs from you to me. It's a beautiful system. And I hope you check that out too. It's where podcasting is going. Thanks to Adam Curry and Dave Jones and everybody over at podcastindex.org. They are doing the Lord's work. With that said, I will be back next week for another edition of the Random Thoughts podcast. Until then, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.